Amen and amen. Well, welcome to the Neighborhood Church. We're so glad that you've spending part of your Christmas Eve here worshiping and celebrating with us. Uh, shout out to Carla, who's not able to be here. She's out of town traveling like so many, but for putting that together, and thank you parents for contributing. What we've been doing each week of the season of Advent is we've had a family come and read some scripture and then light a candle, but this evening we are focusing on love because this year, the last week of Advent, falls on Christmas Eve. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, Advent is the season of waiting that precedes Christmas. So Advent is just an old word for arrival. And so it's so special that tonight is the last season of Advent and Christmas Eve where we celebrate the arrival of the long-awaited King of Kings who brings peace and joy into our darkness and into our dark places. So our kids remind us that there are reasons to sing, for God loves us even in the midst of the darkness. So I would like to read this Advent reading from Isaiah chapter 9. It'll be on the screen. Listen to these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, just like people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. And then these familiar words in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of God for the people of God. And we say, thanks be to God. Now, week to week, we're reminded that there still exists darkness in our world. But that's why Christmas Eve and the season of Advent is so vital because it grounds us and reminds us that all it takes is a little bit of light to dispel the darkness. And then centuries later, John would write in the beginning of his gospel that the light of the world was coming and this light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. So we gather together this evening to behold the light and to remember that even in the midst of darkness, we celebrate the one who came as the light of all to give his life and joy and peace and that he is the light that the darkness cannot nor will not overcome. And so we gather together, not excusing or ignoring the pain or the loss or the hurt we feel, but that we use it to draw us ever closer to the warmth and goodness of the light that is still shining. Amen? A scripture reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee, in Galilee to, do, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time for the baby, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, the great, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, and on earth peace to those in whom favor his rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed that at that at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The word of God for the people of God, and we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray these words out loud together. O oh God, you have caused this holy night to shine with the brightness of true light. Grant that we who have known the mystery of light on earth may also enjoy him perfectly in heaven, where with you and the Holy Spirit he lives and reigns, one God in glory everlasting. Amen. Thank you, students. Thank you, Kelly and worship team. It's so good to be God's people together. Amen? So good to worship on this special evening. Now, I have a question. Would you raise your hand if you've ever appeared in a Christmas play or pageant? Would you please raise your hand? Something like maybe what you see on the screen. That's a lot of people. 
So chances are, if you've raised your hand, did it look something like this? Yep. So let's just pause on this picture for a moment. Because I think, I searched high and low on Google Images, and I feel like this perfectly encapsulates the kinds of Christmas plays I have seen and been a part of. Let's just take a walk through here. We see some people, like this young woman on the top corner, who is very thrilled to be here. The Miami family as theater producers, like, y'all could probably work with that, right, as theater people. But then you also have Mary, who looks a little less than enthused being there. And then you've got the sad little Eeyore donkey and the sheep at the very bottom that are just kind of biding their time and wondering what's going to happen for the very unpredictable little baby Jesus that's in the middle. Now, let's go back to that one real quick. Real quick, let's go back to the other one. And then we can't, because we, we can't move on, Sherry, without talking about the camel. <laughs> There's something about these kinds of Christmas plays, these Christmas pageants, that are just a little bit forced sometimes, but they're really sweet, right? So those of you who raised your hands, did you enjoy this experience? I mean, it has a little place in your heart, right, Audrey, right? Okay, so, so now I want you to raise your hand if you've ever been a part of an, a, a live nativity, an outdoor live nativity, okay? Justin has, okay, Michelle, Rolf. Okay, my parents are raising their hand. I'm raising my hand. Some Freeman Heights people that grew up there are raising their hands. And that looks something like our next photo. This is an outdoor, let me say it again, outdoor. And if you thought the real infant was unpredictable in the inside the church Christmas play, try bringing a real donkey to an outdoor live nativity. My parents are raising their hands because we were a part of one at the church that I grew up in. And my biggest memories were not exactly like wearing the, the clothes and standing out there. It was doing whatever I could do to make up an excuse to leave my post as a shepherd and to go back into the church gym where the hot chocolate was. My enduring memory was trying to spend as little amount of time out there because did I mention the live animals? Have you been to a petting zoo and remember how that smells? It was cold, it was wet. They were more willing to suffer for Jesus than I was. I was all about the hot chocolate in the gym. So we have the Christmas plays at church. We have the outdoor live nativities. But maybe you've seen this next photo on your social media feeds the last two years. Show of hands if you've seen this. Okay? No judgment. I'm just saying that this was a local church that made headlines because they went viral. Because the last couple years, they've put their little drummer men on some rigs to fly them around their sanctuary. You can do it? Okay, we need a little more clearance down here. But if, but if you've grown up in North Texas, you realize that this show that went viral this year, someone sent me another TikTok of it a couple weeks ago. And, the, and it was viral last year. They've been doing this for a long time. Maybe not with the rigging and the drummer boy, but they have a thousand-person choir. They have live animals that process through. It's a big and wonderful production, and it's a little bit different than the 
small, humble, uninterested Christmas play or the cold outdoor live nativity. But there is something that all three have in common. I think all three of these performances have this in common. They smooth out the rough edges of what actually transpired the first Christmas. That first Christmas Eve that spills over into the wee hours of Christmas Day, Christmas Day when we recognize the birth of Jesus Christ, I think was a night spent less in the quiet environs of a church play or outdoor with the heat lamps and hot chocolate or the lights. I think it was a lot more difficult, filled with a lot more anxiety, and filled with a lot more humility than these plays tend to show us. It's not that these plays and performances are bad. Not at all. It's just that after 2,000 years, I think we've lost some of the difficulty on that first Christmas night. First, you heard about the census. Our students read the census. And so you understand the census as filling out that government form once every, gosh, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years, and sending it off. Well, the census is really like a jury duty summons on steroids for these people because it's not just something they could fill out and mail off. They had to get out and go somewhere. The census was a mixture of who are you and where are you from with a little bit of you've got to get in the car and drive downtown and you've got to show up and you've got to make an appearance and you've got to wait. And where they had to go was not a courthouse. It was their ancestral hometown. So the reason they wind up in Bethlehem is because Joseph's family is from Bethlehem. And Bethlehem, as we read in Luke chapter 2, was the town of who? David, the famous king who it was promised that years and years and years later would be an even greater king that would not just be king of the Jews, but in fact would be king of the whole world. And so the census was the jury duty-like summons that got this family all the way from where they were living to Bethlehem, which brings up the difficulty of the journey. We know that Jesus grew up most of his life in Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Well, Nazareth was 90 miles from Bethlehem. So just imagine you have this pregnant young woman, you've got her betrothed Joseph, and now you've got this summons in the mail, and you've got to make a 90-mile journey, right for it, on foot. The average person in that time period could walk about 10 to 11 miles a day. So you're looking at a road trip on steroids to go over a week with a pregnant woman on this trip they didn't want to do. Because once they complete this trip, it just means that they're going to have to pay more taxes to a government they don't like. So the whole time you think you're annoyed when your kids are in the back seat going, can we stop at Bucky's? Look, that billboard says we still got 90 miles to Bucky's. We'll be there soon, right? And we say, no, be quiet. But yes, we'll go to Bucky's. <laughs> this is a journey 
unlike any other that we've experienced. A week long to go to this town, this is difficult, this is anxious, this is humble. And so now the barn. We all know the barn. In fact, this week one of my kids said, hey, wasn't it true that like the first Christmas was like dark and rainy? And they just went from inn to inn, knocking on doors, and people would say, we don't have any room. And I said, you know, actually, we don't know anything of what the weather was like. Truthfully, it could have been closer to the spring. But I think the reason why you're thinking that is because of the kinds of Christmas plays or the Christmas movies. But understand that when we're talking about a barn and we're talking about no room in an inn, it does mean that a bunch more people were visiting this little Bethlehem because they had to get registered too. But where they wound up was not exactly some out-of-the-way, in-the-country barn. In fact, it was more like the family garage. Houses in those days were multi-story. And when we're talking about the manger and the kind of barn in which Mary and Joseph found themselves, it was probably in an extended family's house. But why couldn't the extended family make room for them on the main floor? I just wonder, and I just wonder, this is biblical imagination and guessing. I just wonder if they didn't want to make room for the young pregnant girl who wasn't married yet. And I just wonder if some of the anxiety was not just that they couldn't find any public in, but they couldn't even find any room in their own family's home. And I think what we miss in the performances is not just the journey, not just the government imposition, but how about the tension between families that may or may not have existed? Surely, whichever manger and barn they wound up in, surely it was the ground floor of some family's house where they didn't park the Cadillac or the Dodge. They parked the donkey and the sheep. And so they found themselves after a week-long journey not having any room with family, not having any room in the inn. And not only that, we look at the difficulty, the anxiety, and the humility of the birth. In Luke chapter 2, that Will, Owen, and Emma read, there is no mention of a midwife, no mention of the family like the in-laws waiting and saying, we got a baby yet? We got a baby yet? There's no nurse. There's no doctor. There's no help. Which leads me to believe just maybe they really did not have space anywhere else but this humble garage with animals. The difficulty, anxiety, and humility of the nativity makes me just wonder, was that first night really silent? Or was it difficult with labor and pain? Now, the first Christmas wasn't as smooth or polished as our church productions or imaginations. That's why I think it's probably more like this fourth picture I brought to you. Some of you who are a part of the neighborhood church know exactly where this is. Some of you, like Ashley, know exactly when this was. This was at our last neighborhood table last Friday night. For those of you who don't know, the neighborhood table 
is a monthly community dinner that the neighborhood table, the neighborhood church hosts. We started to develop all these relationships with those that came to our clothes closet, and we just thought, you know, instead of just doing something for our community, why don't we do something with them? Why don't we set a table and sit down and share a meal? Because wouldn't our world be a little bit more filled with hope, peace, joy, and love if we spent more time breaking bread together? And so once a month on the fourth Friday, we set a table and we feed probably 60 to 80 people. And I love the neighborhood table because it's always a little wild. Now, if you ask me on Friday afternoon or text Ashley anytime that week, it's probably not our favorite thing. But by golly, afterward, we say, well, we did it. And it fills us with enough joy and gladness that we're going to drum it up and do it all over again next month. But sometimes it gets a little chaotic. You see, that's Carla there, our children's minister. And she and I, years and years and years before, have gone to the Rock Christmas party, and we've done a makeshift Christmas pageant, like the ones I was showing you earlier, with any kid who would be willing to come and put on a sheet and hold up a star, or get down and ball like a sheep. And so when I thought about, well, maybe it's a little less polished than drummer boys flying through the air. Maybe it's a little more like this. It's loud. It's a mess. And where is it? It's at the rock, right up the road on Walnut, in a building that we as a church have painted and Freeman Heights as a church has kept the lights on, but it's a little rough around the edges if you've been there. And that's why I thought maybe that nativity from last Friday was more like the nativity that first Christmas, not just because it's rough around the edges, but listen, because this is the one that fills me with the most joy. This is the one that reminds me of how blessed it is to be a part of this community. Because listen, the first nativity is not just a night of difficulty, anxiety, or beauty. I think for the first time this year, I realized it's not just one of humility, it's also of beauty. And so let's go back and look again at how even in the midst of an annoying census, a long journey, a makeshift place to stay, and an unattended, solitary birth, we actually see that in each step of the way, God shows up and God blesses, listen, in spite of and in the midst of their difficulty. You see, when Joseph got that jury duty on steroids summons and the notice that he's going to have to pay more taxes... He could have grumbled all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. But what that did was put him in Bethlehem. And what that did was confirm that his son is actually from the royal line from which David's son would come. And not just rule over Israel, but rule over the whole world with justice and peace. And all the things that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah and Micah said he would. 
None of that wouldn't happen if he didn't get that annoying letter that told him he had to go to Bethlehem. By the way, this is for free and for fun. If someone asks you, what does Bethlehem mean? The town name means house of bread. So the bread of life was born in the house of bread to the house of David, who is the king who was promised to come. And there's something about that journey, too, that moves them from Nazareth, where he was growing up, to Bethlehem. Because Micah 5, 2 said, you might be a lonely place, but trust me, out of you, Bethlehem, is going to come the ruler of all. So the journey fulfills prophecy. And then we look at the humble stable and we say, man, what a low rent kind of thing. And yes, it's difficult, but it was just enough to put a roof over their head and some warmth to their bodies. But understand that the manger is not just a symbol of humility. Wow, God would come not to be on a throne, but in a feeding trough. Understand that the manger is that, but it's also a sign. Did you catch when our students read Luke chapter 2? That this will be a sign to you, shepherds. You will find a baby where? In the comfort of the family living room? No. You will find the baby in the nicest house on the nicest street because he's royal after all? No. You will find the baby where? In a manger. These shepherds didn't know what this baby would look like, had never met Mary, didn't know Joseph from Adam. But the reason they would know that this is the king that the angels talked about was because as they went from house to house to house to house, they could look on the ground floor and they would look into the sable and beyond the sheep, beyond the donkey or whatever was there, they would see a child in a manger and then they would know that the angels really were telling them good news. The manger is a sign. But then the birth. The birth that was foretold by angels, celebrated by angels in front of the shepherds, the birth then formed this surprising community. When there wasn't family and there wasn't a midwife, there wasn't a doctor, there were shepherds who heard good news, they saw it with their own eyes, and they became the party that bore witness to God with us. And the shepherds became evangelists as they went from town to town saying, you'll never believe it. These angels told us we'd see a baby wrapped in cloths in a manger of all things, and we saw it, just like they said. So the manger was assigned to the shepherds, but watch. Then the shepherds became assigned to Mary and Joseph. Because as Mary sat there treasuring these things in her heart, And she finds perfect strangers overjoyed and elated that love has truly come. It became a sign to Mary and Joseph that God has not forgotten them in all of their difficulty and their anxiety and even in their humility. Because here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this. Love shows up in the midst of difficulty. 
That's not to say that love doesn't show up when everything is wonderful and it's Christmas morning in your opening presents. I want to remind you that love shows up when it's dark. I want to remind you that we light a candle not just in the midst of, but in spite of darkness. I want to remind you that we can light a candle when in Jesus' birth town, there's fear tonight. I want you to know that love can still show up in the midst of difficulty. Love showed up for Mary and Joseph, and love shows up for the world. So the theological term for that showing up is incarnation. If you're a student at the Neighborhood Church, you know my cheesy translation. Incarnation is like chile con carne. Con carne means with meat. Jesus is God with meat. That word incarnation is incarnate here. God with flesh and blood. But the everyday term for you and I is this. God still is present among us. Because real love shows up. Real love spends its time. Real love gives you your attention in the midst of your worst day. Because look, real love is sacrificial action. And 2,000 years ago, and 30 years after that Christmas, Jesus stretches out his arms of love upon the hardwood of the cross and said, I love you this much. But the good news began because he showed up. He showed up to save us. God shows up in the midst of our difficulty, anxiety, and humility. And so I want to ask you two things. How has he shown up for you this last year? And I want you to pause when you start to say, well, it was hard. And, it, and I would say, right. When it was hard, do you think he showed up? When it was hard, did he send someone to show up? Let's pray for Audrey. The second question is not just has he shown up in all of our lives except for one. The second question becomes, will you seek him? Yes! Now you're talking, girl. Because I think that there are mangers ahead of you tomorrow. And there's mangers ahead of you in the new year. And so the question becomes, will you seek him and find him? Because he's showing up in the everyday spaces, the difficult spaces, the anxious spaces. Look for him the way he came before, right there in the middle of it. So don't leave tonight or tomorrow and miss him. Make room, make space to pause and seek him. Sit with him, for he truly is God with us. Because the more you seek, the more you'll find. The more you pay attention, the more you can see the one who has come to us and will come again. Amen and amen. May we go with the shepherds to find a savior.
May we sit with Mary and treasure the wonderful promises that have come to pass. May we walk with Joseph in quiet trust that the God of our fathers is faithful. May we search with the wise ones and see the light that beckons all people to come. May we sing with the angels because there is good news to be shared. Do not be afraid, for unto us a child is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Go in peace.